Hello and welcome to Shaping Success, a brand new and very exciting podcast from Simply Be, all about women at the top of their game with me, Fleur East. As a singer and broadcaster, I'm inspired by women who push boundaries, women who have carved a different path to society's stereotypes, women who refuse to fit in. And I want to find out who and what shaped their journey to success. So in this podcast series, I'm joined by female icons from all walks of life to talk about their inspirations, heroes, and the moments that change them. We'll hear from some of the biggest female names and the ones you might know less about as they share their remarkable stories of determination and dedication and reveal the moments and icons that have shaped them along the way. Ultimately, our guests all have one thing in common. They're killing it. So let's meet them. In this final episode of the series, I'm joined by one of the most versatile women we've had on the podcast so far. Not only has Zowie Ashton played a wide range of engaging characters on both stage and screen, but she's successfully turned her hand to directing, writing and producing too. As one of Britain's most cherished actors, many of her roles have broadened the conversation around underserved issues and given a voice to those without a platform. With such a breadth of work, one thing is clear, she is a master storyteller. So what is the secret to building a diverse career and pushing yourself professionally? Let's find out. Welcome to Shaping Success, Zowie Ashton. Fleur, thank you. That's the best intro I've ever had. <laughs> I'm proud of myself after hearing that intro. You've achieved, you've achieved a lot. Thank you so you much. really have. And we're here to dig deep and find out how you even got to this place you're at in your life. I'm ready to dig. And I, I do have to say to you, as I said off camera, you are literally such an icon for me. What? From X Factor. Oh, wow. Which we loved. I still can't hear Uptown Funk without wow. seeing your performance. I actually see your performance whenever I hear that song. So thank you for that. And also, <laughs> Strictly, yes. I live in a very, very Strictly obsessed household. Right, okay. And you and Vito were... Just absolutely outstanding. Oh, thank Amazing. You. And again, when I hear feeling hot, I see your samba. <laughs> feeling hot. <laughs> I literally had such a body roll. I can see your samba in my mind's eye. You oh. were so stunning. And you also just dealt with every bit of critique. Mm. Some that felt fair, some that did not feel fair, in my opinion. <laughs> okay. I'm, I don't work for the BBC. I don't have to be neutral. <laughs> I thought you just dealt with it in the most beautiful way and you were such an example of what it is to uh, just be professional to be oh, honest wow. yeah wow thank you stunning oh, that's so nice to hear what a I, way to start I can't oh, believe gosh. I'm talking to you but enough about me I can't believe it's you <laughs> it's really you <laughs> so cool I want to know how it all began because you got into acting very young yes so tell me about where you grew up you grew up in east london tell me about what you were like as a young child i did uh, i'm hackney born and bred w and walthamstow so walthamstow fellow east londoner Stow. i mean come on <laughs> when we go back now i don't know if you still live there yeah. and you're just like the hackney that i i grew up in is is kind of long gone mm. but i suppose what really shaped me coming from there is this sense of activism. Stoke Newington especially was a very active sort of so socialist uh, area, really. Mm. We were a very socialist borough. And so there was an energy there when I started 
to sort of get into more creative enterprises like bits of dance and um, and then join the Anna Share Theatre where I sort of started the acting journey specifically. I feel like there was always a, a kind of tenacity mm. in me even as a child. Um, so yeah, I suppose, how did it start for me? It started in a very real way. It was never like I want to be... I don't know, tap dancing and mm. like, you know, the, the, the old adage, tits and teeth, which obviously you cannot even think about <laughs> describing a child as doing, you know. Yeah, but, no. <laughs> you know, it was never about being like a theatre kid, but it was it was about storytelling and 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 storytelling with with meaning. And yeah, and I I, I found the, the best way to do that for me as a as a child going to these drama classes was to to actively be in them and and to be kind of figuring it out from a practical standpoint, using your voice and your mm. body and uh, and communicating in that way. How did you get into drama class then? Did you choose to go or did your parents like encourage that? No, I just had too much energy. And I said this, <laughs> yeah. I, I just had so much energy as a child. And so my poor mom, I mean, she was sort of in charge of the after school stuff. And um, a friend's sister had been to the Anna Share Theatre okay. School, which was in Islington. Um, so not far and, and was, I think, 50p a class at that time that no. I started. Yeah, it was a hugely affordable community-based mm. uh, space really it was as much about getting children uh occupied and having purpose and mm. and off the streets that's how Anna started it really in the 60s when Islington was a, a quite a rough place and it was a place for children to go and be safe it was such a hodgepodge of things. You would go, you would do the classes, there would be kids, there'd be older kids, there'd be adult classes, you'd be doing improvisation, mm. you'd be reading poetry. Anna was someone who described herself as an integrationist. She's like an Irish, like Jewish, Lithuanian. Yeah, um, I mean, all about the act, putting the act into activism was her thing. And so she would have us like learn a new word every week when we got there because um, Winston Churchill learned a new word every day mm. of his adult life and she thought that was important for us. So you literally had kids from every intersection that you can imagine being guided by this uh, by, by this incredible energetic teacher who just believed that if you came and wanted to act, that was fine, but she wouldn't let you leave without also gaining some knowledge mm. and insight into the world and um, uh, into just the roots of, of community, which is theatre, really. So it just started as kind of, okay, this kid's got way too much energy. Go there. Let's just put her in something. It'll be an hour and, she, <laughs> and she'll be worn out by the end. She'll be worn out. She could go to bed tonight. Yeah. Little did my mum know it was probably the most energising thing I could have done because I think literally after my first class, I knew that I wanted to be an actor. Did you? Yeah. It's a very strange thing to experience as a six-year-old and one of my favorite actors is an actor called Jack Lemon who's sadly no longer with us mm. but I remember seeing a documentary with him and and he was like I knew what I wanted to do age eight and that did make me very strange and that did mark me out <laughs> as being quite a weird child um but I just I knew I just knew that I'd found a home so we want to know about the moments that have helped shape you in your career now there are 
countless credits that I could list right now of all the fantastic work that you've done. But right now there's a strike going on, isn't there? That there is. That prevents us from going deeper into that. Can you just explain what's what's actually happening at the moment? There is. Um, I, I'm a very proud member of... Um, at SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, uh, over in the States. If you've worked in the States, you will most likely be a member of SAG. And we, we are currently on strike um, in support of the writers who are also on strike for a countless list of reasons that <laughs> I won't necessarily go mm. into now. But it's 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 about equity and it's about um, respect and it's about people being able to work um and and live in an industry that is booming and getting mm. bigger with streaming and and huge studios uh and so it's it's a power to the to the little guy moment um mm -hmm. which I'm very much in support of and maybe I can come back on the podcast and <laughs> hopefully say we won and then talk about all the <laughs> yes. screen stuff that's going on well the thing is luckily here we want to learn about all the moments that have shaped you and got you to this place. Yeah. So we we can look into that. I want to know Absolutely. of a positive moment maybe that's happened that a lot of people won't know about yeah. that has shaped you. Having a defunct pilot script, TV pilot script that I had written, mm -hmm. being cast out by production companies, as is often the way, and falling into the hands of a book agent who then approached me about writing a book and said, look, I've read this pilot that apparently isn't going to happen, um, but I would love you to write something from the point of view of this character that you've written. It was kind of a show about a woman having an existential crisis, mm -hmm. essentially. And I was like, I would never have thought of doing this ever in my yeah. life. I mean, ever. My attention span is... <laughs> three seconds maximum probably <laughs> like think of Dory and Finding Nemo that, you're that doing is, well so far I'm doing, doing well, well today <laughs> <laughs> just managed to chop up that coffee before we started and so I was I was presented with probably the biggest challenge in my life I feel like book writing is probably arguably the highest art form one of the highest mm. art forms definitely the most tricky and sitting down with again that encouragement with that permission mm -hmm. from this random woman who's now my beloved book agent, Eugenie. Um, what started to happen was I was able to start writing myself a new chapter in my own life, which was really powerful. Mm -hmm. It took me a very long time to write. So <laughs> much happened when I was writing it over the course of like three years. Three years. Yeah, right. uh, nearly three years. Um, I would started to describe the book as the cockroach of the nuclear disaster of my life. Because <laughs> at one point, it was the only thing alive. I was like, everything else is burnt to the ground. Everything has been sacrificed. I have, yeah, yeah. I have this book still to write in my, you know, notes on my computer. And so things like Me Too happened in that mm. time. That was one of the things that I didn't realize I was very, very much spiritually struggling with as an actor. I was just like, look, there's a lot of pendulums that feel like they're ready to swing, which is the diversity and representation mm -hmm. pendulum, which we now know is swinging a lot more than yes. it was. The generally be nice to women pendulum that wasn't <laughs> yep. uh, quite swinging <laughs> enough for me at one point. And I just thought I can't, there's, there's, there's something that feels off. I can't align myself. My values, goals and dreams are not 
aligning. And mm. and if you follow any life coaches, or that's sort of the first thing that they say, isn't it? If you feel yeah. like a stuckness, then there's probably some gap between those three things. So I thought, right, what am I going to do here? And and being presented with the opportunity to write this book, which ended up being ca- categorized as a kind of memoir, like a, an offbeat memoir, a kind mm. of fictionalized memoir, because I knew that I wanted to use pieces of my own life, certainly right. pieces of the reality of, of um, the industry that I had experienced so far. But I knew that, again, being an actor, that there should be this fictional narrative that kind of weaves itself through. Mm-hmm. I realized, ah, oh, okay, I'm I'm challenging all of these things that feel off within me. I want to explore the reasons why th- there are these parts of the industry that still feel so wrong mm-hmm. to me and that I keep bumping up against. And so halfway through, I was supposed to give the book in. I was late, stuff was going on. And thank goodness I was because... The Me Too movement happened. Right. The the very brave whistleblowers who started to come forward, certainly in the case of you know the the producer Harvey Weinstein, things mm-hmm. like that, started to happen. And suddenly that was another flow. I was like, oh, people actually might want to hear about this. People might want to talk about this. Things are cracking open a little bit. Mm. So I got to the end of the book, and I'd like moved out of London. I decided to stop acting at that point. I'd I'd changed my life completely and shuffled the cards for myself mm. of how I wanted to engage with the industry. And I I couldn't have done that without the book. Because when we write, we are, again, we're expressing and able to edit our thoughts and feelings. And it was the biggest dose of therapy that I think I probably could have had. And wow. it was free. So I sat down on the laptop. Well, exactly. And I did it. It sounds like a real magical experience, actually, you write in that book. It changed a lot for you. It did. And I would encourage anyone who is struggling in any way to put pen to paper. It really is so powerful. The mm. pen is so mighty. It's nice to get an insight into what you were feeling and like the emotional yeah. journey through that as well. Because also the book is called Character Breakdown. I'm definitely not here to publicize my book that about 18 people read, which is fine, because <laughs> that is not the point of writing books for me. It's like the legacy of having a book on a shelf people. was just like probably 19, <laughs> and um, including mum. And, um, and, and it's called Character Breakdown because... One of the moments where I realized I know what I'm going to write about is I was supposed to go for an audition right. and character breakdowns are what they give you when you oh, of course, go yeah. for an audition. It's the literal, the, it's literally the breakdown of the character that you're, you're going to play. Mm. And lots of uh, women will identify in my industry that these can be one of the most sad, distressing, backward descriptions <laughs> of uh, women, real or imagined, that you could possibly read and it be like legal and okay so I was going for this audition to play like a science-y character and I kept getting called back and they were like can she just wear something that just shows her body a little bit more and I'm like oh wow won't I just be wearing a lab coat is this where what's this got have to do I got with... science wrong in the script like she doesn't seem to need to um wear a cat suit to do the mm, old biology no. at this point. <laughs> but that's what the process started to become more and more about. Okay. And I just thought, I can't do this. 
And so the name of the book was born and the, the headings for each chapter are sort of based on a different, very much real character breakdowns that have crossed my path. And um, again, that was a way of saying this, this is part of what I do that I just can't condone mm. anymore. And I need to explore that. So you decided to move away from acting around that time. Yeah. What brought you back to it then? Oh God, so many things. Again, it was so, it was so strange. I mean, anyone out there who has tried this manifesting thing, which I haven't mm -hmm. yet, by the way, I'm so interested in it. And um, well, I, I can do it. So I did it with the book. But you did it, yeah. um, things that started to come my way that felt like they were very much meant for me got got me back because I was engaging with the work in a very different way. So, you know, I ended up doing a play called Betrayal that ended up coming along really out of sheer serendipity. I mm. did a reading with my <laughs> now um, fiancé Tom and we just thought that's going to be a 15-minute reading at a gala of a play, of a scene from a play that we both really love and um, Jamie Lloyd, the director, had selected for us. And then everyone was like, oh, why don't you do the the play you know th that was really great and it wasn't planned it was very organic and ended up being probably one of the most important certainly acting experiences in my life because again it just came from this place of I'm meant for this mm -hmm. there's work that we choose to do there's work that we're chosen for with the work mm -hmm. that we're chosen for and meant for and I you know, mentioned to you earlier that I, you know, I, I volunteer a lot of my time now talking to young actors about their first steps and their first foray into this industry. And if I had back then had someone say to me, you get, you do get to choose, um, it would have been really powerful. But again, you know, these things you learn with time. Yeah, because I guess in the beginning, you're like, I need all the credits. I need to do all the work, you know, whatever opportunity comes, I need to just grab it. Yeah. There's that sense of like, there's that hunger. Yeah. That kind of clouds your judgment, I guess, in the beginning. Absolutely. And mm. again, it can intersect with who you are as a person. You know, some of the best advice that I've ever got as an actor is the things that you struggle with as a person will be the things that you struggle with as an actor. Mm. And I, I didn't understand that for a really long time. Like, for example... I couldn't cry on cue for an, as, as an actor for a really long time. And I was like, oh God, I just I guess I'm just gonna be one of those actors who can't cry. It just won't work then. You know, there's like loads of girls who can cry and I'm like the non-crier over here. I was like, why? <laughs> Again, it didn't click immediately, but I got to a point suddenly where I was like, I don't cry as me. Oh. I don't cry. That's really interesting. Mm. I bottle and I store and I like, put a brave face on and that needed to change before I could access that in the work. And so to your point, I think there's something within us sometimes, I'll speak on behalf of myself, sometimes something within me is a woman, like firstborn child. Again, you know, like com coming, coming uh, to the industry without, you know, people who could like tell you what to do, you mm. know. There was this, there, there was always this real attachment to being chosen. Being a biracial child in the 80s, you know, everyone being like, who are you? What are mm -hmm. you? Like, mm, very like mistrusting, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, um, who you are. We don't have language for you yet. We don't have language for lots of things, but 
there was this attachment to being chosen that was feeding into my relationship to the work as well, mm -hmm. which is so, again, important to speak to young people about, you know, you are your work as an actor. You turn up as your body, as your soul, as your, everything is your work. There weirdly enough isn't usually a separation that you can make. You think you can for a long time. Sometimes it feels like you can, but actually not really. That's been my experience. That's really interesting to hear that because I would have just assumed, I mean, naively or whatever, because I'm not in the industry, yeah. I guess. And I haven't studied acting to your level. But you're a performer, but I would you're assume, an artist, you But know. I would think though that, okay, I'm playing this role. I now just switch into this role. I wouldn't think that anything that I've experienced, unless the character yeah. has some sort of likeness to an experience I'd yeah. been through, yeah. I would just think, all right, just turn on the acting hat yeah. and the tears come and yeah. it happens. But yeah. that's interesting that you explain that because you didn't cry personally, you yeah. couldn't turn it on. That was my experience. And I think lots of people are acting in different ways and doing yeah, the job yeah. in different ways, especially today. Like I go and speak to young actors now and they're like, yeah, like we just do self-tapes all the time. And how do we do that? And I'm like, oh my God, I'm the worst self-taper of all time. Yeah. Balance my iPhone on top of some saucepans and hope for the best. And they some have saucepan. studios like this. And they're just like, mm, yeah, you know, we've got our backdrop. And I'm like, wow. Um, so I'm aware, I, again, I'm speaking from my own experience and, and make, trying to make the personal universal mm. in some way. But in terms of, like you said, like the 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 the, the wanting to people please, like the wanting to be chosen, just like I'll do anything yeah. to just um, you know be working or be like accepted. That was something that was also happening within me, you know. And the people pleaser is someone I've really had to like take to the side and speak to a lot over life because pff, it's too exhausting. You should do everything you can when you're a young actor. You should get out there. You should get experience. There's absolutely nothing like experience. But at the same time, try and instill a value system mm. within as a compass because there are better conversations happening around the safety of, of people on sets and in the work that we do. But actually, it's still a very, um, I don't know, it can be like the Wild West, you know? And if you know inside, actually, this is my dial and I know when to say no, I know when to create boundaries. I know when that work is not meant for me, even though I want experience, actually there's something that feels problematic there or mm -hmm. something that's gonna trigger me or something that's gonna leave me less than when I came. If you can have that as an actor, I, I think it's, it's, it's very powerful. But you have to get it from my perspective as a, as a person first. Thinking of moments, is there a negative moment in particular that you can think of that has also equally impacted you? It's so interesting because the negative, maybe people have said this before, the negative moments that I'm thinking of have been the most positive. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Like, yeah, yeah. There's always a lesson. The lessons, yeah. amazing. Failure just as good as success if not better sometimes a very key one that springs to mind and you know we're talking a lot about kind of youth childhood is when I was about six years old and had been scouted I think in a store like a department store to go and be in like a little modeling show okay 
which I was just so keen to do again. I was a Barbie, you know, kind of fanatic. <laughs> and like, oh, I was like, oh my God, this is something Barbie would do. And um, went along to meet the sort of head of this sort of casting agency, I'm guessing at the time, with my mom. I think I've got this story right. And we got there and we were talking to the head of the agency because they'd asked us to go. Mm. And the very much adult woman ended up just saying, oh, well, you know, she'll never work with that, that gap in her teeth. And oh, so two things happened, I suppose, in that moment. One being, I remember sort of thinking, whatever mum does now is the thing. Like mm. whatever, I don't know how to respond to this. <laughs> right. So whatever mum does is how this is going to work out. Okay. And she just picked me up by the hand instantly and we walked immediately through that door. So in that moment, I learned the lesson of you don't have to you don't have to sit there and take it. In, you know, in terms of someone giving you energy what like an that. What amazing lesson! How old were you? Amazing. I was about six, six, six seven. Years old, really tiny. And then another thing that happened was this kind of rush of love for myself and the authentic way that I look. Mm. And my mum was safeguarding that and protecting that in that. the face of someone who was trying to tear that down and that's definitely that's that formed a rock against which so many waves have broken mm. because the microaggressions towards women in general women of color more specifically in the industry that I've very much chosen to be in you know no one dragged me I very very much chosen this path they're so real and they're so frequent and they're still so rife for all the progress so Getting to have a moment that could have gone so badly. So many dysmorphias could have been born from it. Oh, yeah. So much sadness. Like, who I who adultifies a child like that? You know, like, it was such a weird move on behalf of this woman. But it gave me so much. I can really see the roads that led away from that from that moment and that day. I love that your mother just took your hand and was like, right, this isn't for us. This We're isn't out for us. This just cannot. I absolutely love that story. This cannot go without. Because other parents might have gone, okay, then we'll get you braces yeah. as soon as we can. And, yeah. You know, they would have thought, right, we need to get you the work and it could have gone a completely. This could be a great opportunity. Yeah. I don't know what could have happened actually, you know, if she hadn't have done that. But also, you know, having a gap and my friend and actress Uzo Aduba speaks about this so beautifully mm. as well. She's like, that is so much part of your culture in your face. That is part of your inheritance. That mm, is part of, of your um, ancestry. And are you saying that basically that needs to be like washed away, tampered with, erased in order to do the work? Like... There's something inherently problematic in that. Mm, mm. There's a phrase in French, which is don du bonnier. Mm. I've butchered the French there. Sorry, all French people. <laughs> but it means lucky teeth, you lucky know. Teeth, and yeah. and actresses like Brigitte Bardot mm -hmm. were, you know, really deemed, um, uh, you, you know, so alluring and so beautiful with, with that, you know, particular feature. So it's not also just, you know, something that belongs to you as someone who's yeah. from the African diaspora necessarily. But in my experience, that's what it was speaking to. It was like, we don't, we, we don't want you to have mm. your 
your ancestors' like features, essentially. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, so many layers were uh, so happening in, in that particular moment. What is interesting for me talking to you is hearing about the people that have encouraged you throughout your life. Yeah. Like you said, you always just felt so supported. Like yeah. your parents were never like, no, you can't do that. Yeah. Or even your book agent that yeah. said, you know, write a book. Yeah. There's been so many people along the way that have opened so many doors for you. Is there anyone in particular you can think of that has inspired you or helped you get to where you are today, a person in your life? I would I would have to sort of repeat myself and say and say Anishar because the people the amount of people that went through her doors first and foremost I mean Daniel Kaluuya thanked her mm. in his BAFTA acceptance speech I think back in sort of 2018 or something Dexter Fletcher who's now a fantastic director Naomi Harris who's mm -hmm you know, Bond Girl, Extraordinaire and, and everything in between. You know, Reggie Yates, who's mm -hmm. a good friend of mine. We did our first gig together on Desmond's. Wow. Can we imagine? <gasps> For all the millennials in the house. Oh, Desmond, what a show. Uh, Reggie, um, Kathy Burke. Wow. Everyone who went there talks about having felt like they were really seen at a time where it maybe wasn't the case if you'd chosen to do acting that you would be able to find a space where people were like, yeah, not just the job, not just the talent, but also the world and mm. you and like, who are you? She was so interested in young people. She never spoke down to you. She would use words that I would leave and go, yeah. I have no <laughs> idea what that meant, but I'm going to find out because Anna said it and it made me feel good, you know, in the moment. And she created an ethos there that I think all those people I've just listed and, and more mm. still hold to this day, um, which is acting when it's easy is like easy and anyone can do it. When it's hard, that's when you become the actor, when the work isn't there, mm. when things are feeling a little bit more bare boned, you know, that's what makes the actor. She also never allowed us to use the words fame or star. And there were kids who were going off and doing huge TV shows, huge films. And they, when they were done, they would come back to class and they would just reintegrate. And that was it. There was no heralding of uh, the person yeah. who's gone and, you know, done the movie. There was such a grounding there yeah. that I literally cannot do the work that I do without that 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 bedrock, that ethos that that she made for all of us. And actually, if I think about it, that's probably where my writing, um, in terms of writing for characters and, and mm. for stage and screen came from, because she would put on something called the Festival of Plays, which was kids as young as six, <laughs> up to adults in their 40s and 50s, like throughout the whole throughout the theatre, throughout the different classes that she had, would get the opportunity to put their hand up if they wanted to do a play, be selected, write a play and cast it from your group and then put it on in a, like a festival at the wow. end. Like if you were the best one, I think, you know, everyone rated you out of 10 or something at the end. And you would then get to see your work performed alongside like these really grown up, like, you know, Whoa. talented um uh, experienced people and I remember teaming up with a friend of mine when we were about nine and ten 
and we wrote a play about um, a killer doll who came oh my to gosh, life. You wrote Child's Play before it was even Child's Play. Yes, I did. <laughs> and I'm waiting for those royalties. I did. <laughs> Still to this day. Um, it was it was like a doll that like turned evil whenever you sang Ring and Ring of Roses. Amazing. What I mean. That's actually pretty good. Paging Dr. Freud, paging all the doctors to help with that. But it was amazing because all the kids had to listen to you. You took them like down to this little green room area and told them the idea and it would all be improvised because Anna's Anna Scherz was so very much like based directing. on improvisation. You would tell them each scene, how yeah. you wanted it to go. Sometimes you could put yourself in it. Like when I think back now, it was so beautifully anarchic and probably a golden age of theatre making mm. or certainly a golden age for performers because there was no social media. There was no, you know, camera phone. Like if I was to play back that play now, <laughs> you know, I'd go, this is absolutely awful. But it can live in my mind as, yeah. this, as this experience. And and quite honestly, like that kind of anarchy just doesn't have a space really in the same way no. now. Um, but it was really formative. So this child that was writing about killer dolls, who were you watching? <laughs> who were you watching as you were growing up that you just absolutely idolised? Was there anybody... Like in the acting world that you were like, oh my goodness, this is who I want to be like, or anyone that inspired you? In terms of just recent news, mm. someone who I didn't realise was such a huge influence on me is, well, she converted to Islam, Sinead O'Connor, and you oh, know, yes. is known as Shahada mm. Sakat. But she, she made such a profound impact on me. And I was actually really devastated at the news of her passing. Yeah. Um, I remember so clearly her face, her illuminous face with her mm. shaved head and black polo neck with a black background in the Nothing Compares to yes. You video, which would have been like nine, early 90s. Yes. And, um, and I just remember watching it really clearly. I remember watching it and thinking, she's talking to me. And I guess that meant at that time, I realized now maybe like she felt like an outsider. I could just tell mm. she wasn't like the other women necessarily on MTV. No, definitely not. <laughs> it was like a punch <laughs> in the chest, wasn't it? It yeah, was like oh, a yeah. defibrillating kind of feeling. I remember watching. So a bit powerful. Like, yeah. I, a bit like, you know, when I saw, you know, N Nirvana's, you know, um, first single on MTV and I was just like, whoa, yeah, what is this? Whoa, what is yeah. this? <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's who I think I am, you know, and there were so few icons sometimes at, at, at that time in my life mm. that represented who I was, looked to like who I was, doing the things that I maybe dreamt mm. of doing again in a subconscious way. And she just represented someone who was just so talented, so powerful, but yet so vulnerable and clearly was aligning herself with an outsider energy or with like a left field sort of energy. And I just thought, wow, wow, wow. And then later on in life, her first, you know, one of my friends, his older sisters had her first album. And me and my friend would play it and her voice was so haunting yeah. and and um, again, visceral, you know, again, when you're young and you can't necessarily understand the lyrical content of something, there's that pre-verbal 
communication in the sound of someone's voice. Mm. I mean, you know, you're a singer. And I remember her track, Black Boys on Mopeds, hitting me again in the, between the eyes because it was this protest music that, again, felt very accessible. Yeah. I was like, wow, she's she's singing about difficult things. She's singing about the more troubling aspects of life. But she's also, like, got a cassette tape of it. It's not, like, in a <laughs> yeah. basement somewhere. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. we bought this from, you know, a shop. And, and she's making this popular. She's putting this out to a lot of people. And, again, registering that that felt important. And, and then when she passed away and I sort of had all these retroactive nostalgic thoughts about her I was like wow what I really love about her legacy is that she did things that were difficult at a moment where she could have so easily chosen to do things that were easy she spoke truth mm -hmm. to a power at a point where she could have just kept those hits pumping you know I mean I wouldn't expect you to say Sinead O'Connor I don't know what I was expecting you to no, say no I don't know what but I was gonna say very very interesting yeah it really hit me, her passing away. And also she, her passing her created, again, this dialogue of like, we must be kind, we must be kind, mm. like, we mustn't, you know, bully people who are vulnerable. We're so sad she's gone. And it's like, well... It's always too late, isn't it? It's always mm. too late. And um, again, what I say to the young people, young actors that I talk to now is, you know, make your life about so many other things and than just the work because, you know, the people who were tearing her down, the people who were name calling and, and you know, uh, doing all kinds of things that I, I deem to be very wrong, probably don't have any idea of what it, t you know, takes to, to do what she did or mm. what people like her have done. And, and she's human, you know, she is a human being. Uh, and so making your life about so many other things other than the thing that you're doing hopefully gives you a way to navigate mm -hmm. uh, intense scrutiny like that. Um, yeah, it's an important lesson to share. Very important lesson. Yeah. Before we leave today, I really need to talk about your style, Zoe. Because firstly, you're sitting in front of me. You look amazing. Do you today? But well, I have I been did. stalking I you. I your side. I have been I stalking you online. And no, you have not. Your red carpet looks. Like, I love you. They're always fabulous, though. Oh, thank you. You don't. You don't ever play it safe. You wear a lot of bold patterns, bold shapes. Yeah. It's very out there. Yeah. I want to know <laughs> how does your style help you express yourself? Because. Like you said, you've always been this child. You came into the world with all this energy. Yeah. You know, you've got real strength about you. How do you express that through your style? Because you're not shy. You're not shy when it comes to the red carpet. Oh, thanks, Flip. Well, that was a journey. You know, that was really a journey. And and again, like I I did talk about one of my first red carpet experiences in 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 my book. Again, I'm not here to publicize my book. It's just <laughs> the a book lot is of right now. <laughs> like, Become the twentieth person. If you want to be to the twentieth and twenty first person to read, carry to write down, please. Uh, <laughs> you know, find it. I think it's very much off the shelves. But my point is, <laughs> all the realizations I made through that but you know, being on the red carpet and that whole first head above the parapet mm. moments in terms of showing yourself to cameras at yeah. an event where you've chosen an outfit you know the whole process of it is just so weird when you kind of start breaking it down but those first times were so frightening 
And I was like, this is just wearing clothes. <laughs> yeah. But it did feel like you everything had to be encompassed in that moment. Like who you are, what you want to st- say, the artist you have to be, like, you know, the artist you want to be. Like, so many different things. And I, I, I don't think I chose very wisely, really, at the beginning. So, I mean... Stylists are great, aren't they? <laughs> I they don't are. want to say it was just all me. The the confidence to, you know, rock all the craziness is maybe mine. But, you know, I met I met at one point a fantastic stylist, Steph Wilson, and we started to work together and she just said, who who do you like what's the kind of artist you think you mm. are and how can we represent that? And it was the first time I'd really had that conversation. And I was like, I suppose I'm you know, want to be bold. So yeah, when when I started to have that kind of dialogue, it just started to flow because then you go, it doesn't matter what people are going to say necessarily mm. afterwards. That's what I was very concerned about with at one point. This is about stepping out and going, did, did I do it authentically? I always feel good if I know that I've just somehow been true to who I, who, who I believe I am and rocked out and represented myself. I love the self-expression. And I'm so, so glad you turned up today. I've loved talking to you, learning about your story, your experiences, and your character breakdown. (laughs) I'm going to be number 21. That buys the book now. No, I'll be number 21. (laughs) No, honestly, it's it's such a joy to talk to you. You have an amazing platform. Your your spirit and, and energy and what you stand for is so, is so wonderful. And I want to align myself with that. And again, just feeling like this is an extension of a way that I'm able to 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 speak to people at the beginnings of their own journey is is really important to me so thank you for letting me come and ramble thank you yeah. thanks for sharing if we want to uh, follow you on socials where can we do that oh my goodness I suppose at my Instagram that I never post on <laughs> ever but you know flip through uh, flip through the archive what's your Instagram handle it's you know? at zowie that's Zowie. You managed to get that. Just saying. There was no other Zowie. We're always trying to work towards one main status, aren't we? That Zendaya, is, that's powerful. Prince. <laughs> Zendaya, Prince, Zowie. Zowie. Yes. <laughs> Madonna. Madonna, Zowie. No. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> Incredible. I love it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Shaping Success, a Simply Be podcast. If you like what you've heard, please give us a follow and a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Shaping Success is a Folding Pocket production.